on this episode of Resi Week, home technology tariffs and you, the big POE fight, and 4K is everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week episode 144, Tariffs and You. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box, and by Chief, the global leader in commercial AV mounting solutions. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Hey, Guy Finer. He is the CEO of Access Networks. How are you, my friend? I'm well, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Next, we have Jason Knott. He is the editor of CE Pro. Good to see you again. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for joining us. And last but not least, we have a first-timer, so we're going to be really nice, I promise. Uh, it is Mark Feinberg. He is the CEO of Home Theater Advisors. How are you, sir? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you so much for being here. All right, gentlemen, let's jump right into the first story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro and Jason Not And Jason, you and I talked about this uh, last week. Um, but if you have not followed this, uh, the home technology industry is going to begin bracing for the upcoming tariff wars. If you haven't been following along, uh, the U.S. government has been imposing tariffs on products that are sourced out of China uh, with tariffs that range anywhere from essentially zero to uh, 10 to 25 percent but there is a proposed tariff coming in january of 2019 for another 25 percent on top of that for a large variety of uh you know electronic devices jason one your story's fantastic um and you covered it from a, a lot of different angles from both manufacturers uh, reps, uh, vendors, end users, etc., cetera, uh, integrators. So I, I greatly appreciate that. When you were researching this, um, this is something that we haven't, we haven't seen this in my history within the industry. Um, it, was this a surprising story for you to be researching and writing? Well, the interesting thing out of this was the impetus for this story came from the manufacturers. I had uh, several manufacturers who reached out to me, um, you know, several weeks back and they had reached out and informed their dealer base about the first round of increases. And unfortunately they had done it in a way that, uh, caused backlash and they were, um, it flummoxed to use the, the term on how to, uh, speak to the dealer base about what was going on without it uh, degrading into a political conversation, which was unfortunately what they had experienced. So they actually reached out to me and, <clears throat> you know, I had written something uh, earlier in the year because uh, the security industry association and CTA at that time had come out uh, before any of the tariffs had actually been enacted saying, Hey, this is, this is uh, again, they were against it, took a stance against it. But these vendors reached out to me and said, can you reach out, uh, can you write something, put something together because they don't want to, they didn't want to be the messenger long story short. So it was very interesting. And the interesting part, you and I talked about it last week, 
Mm-hmm. Most of the integrators that I spoke with um, have done nothing in regards to this, and they're already seeing surcharges come in from some of the vendors, yet they hadn't really adjusted uh, any of their, their pricing, po- pricing. And now it's even more of, a, of an important issue because here we are in November, and most of the, the projects or the, the bids that people are specifying right now are for 2019. And, you know, just take it at a blanket level. If it's a $1,000 product that you're specking now and it ends up being $1,250 come February or March when you bought it, that's, that's right out of your bottom line if you haven't adjusted. So that was kind of the, the, the thrust of, of how the story came about. Very good. Haggai, I, I want to come to you next, being a manufacturer, and we kind of talked pre-show uh, about whether this was affecting you yet or not. Um, and I don't necessarily need you to get into that, but what I wanted to ask you was, this is something that I would assume most manufacturers are kind of paying attention to, but not necessarily, it's not the forefront of their business. They're not, you know, they don't allocate personnel to track tariffs. Um, when this comes up or when, when this kicks in, how do manufacturers a, a deal with it internally, but also deal with the messaging and the relationship with their, with their customers, with their clients on how to, you know, deal with this because love it or hate it, like the politics aside, it's still, it's going to be part of business potentially. How do you deal with that? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I think for us, before releasing anything, the first conversation would be had with sales and with marketing on language, right? We talk about how we communicate this. And I would even uh, entertain uh, that we absorb it. You know, maybe we can. You know, 3% on your bottom line, for example, let's say it's 3%, uh, which you saw Luxol move their prices up 3% last week. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's 3%, it's, it's meaningful. It's a big deal. <clears throat> but maybe it's worth it not to disturb the piece. I don't know. We haven't run the financials because we haven't been with a specific number. If it's going to be 20% or 15%, I don't know if, if we would be able to remain competitive at, at that point. And I understand that this is exactly what this is designed to do, is discourage you from <laughs> going overseas to manufacture. But a lot of this for us is not under our control. As it stands, there are no uh, changes in pricing for us when it comes to ruckus, nothing that we've heard of and we've asked repeatedly. Um, but it may be, you know, what's in the future. Uh, the question is what happens with one manufacturer raising, let's say it's 3% if we're getting hit with more, um, the same AP they used to buy that used to cost you, you know, kind of comparable pricing, all of a sudden that completely changes. And then someone does have to take the hit or lose the business. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it, it could end up being the wild west when it comes to competition, but, we're willing to do on the manufacturing side. As you know, we OEM Ruckus now, so our brand is on that product. Um, and we, we take it very seriously. So before saying anything, we would talk about what the implications could be, because the last thing I want to do is have a political nightmare when it comes to having this conversation in public. Um, and at the same time, what I personally think about it, which is a whole different story, um, I think it's, if anything, right, the, what you're seeing is the aftermath of something that is, I, I could only define it as reckless. Yeah. If you're going to just move in with tariffs like this, this is what's going to happen. 
And maybe, you know, maybe someone on a government level doesn't care about our little businesses and what we end up doing with it and how we communicate this to our clients or if we pass it on to the homeowner. But I certainly care about it enough to stop and think and really sit on it for a little bit before we break the news. And even then, even when we do, I would say that we've considered all options before raising prices. Maybe we can extend warranties. See, that's what I didn't see coming from everybody else is, hey, we thought about this process. Here's more value. Yeah, we have to raise pricing, but to, to stay operational, mm -hmm. but we'll give you an extra year warranty. We'll give you, I don't know, we're considering here a lifetime warranty forever for anything we sold you. Um, these are discussions that are worth having. And maybe for that warranty. That way it ends up it ends up sitting well with our crowd. Right? Yeah, it's a very interesting conversation. And you would like to think that, you know, if in your case, if, if networking products go up three percent, that everyone's gonna have to raise three percent. But how they manage that, how they deal that within their own company. So how is it that Luxel now is less competitive than us? That's I think that's not fair. And yeah. maybe the news will trickle down eventually to us because we order in cycles and let's say the next ordering round is obviously going to be more expensive and then we have to trigger that. But right now, Luxel is viewed as a, at someone as a disadvantage compared to another comparable supplier. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting yeah. conversation. Mark, let me ask you this. When you, when you look at that article, um, Jason lists, you know, six tips for integrators to go through this. When you read that and, and you think about going and dealing with your clientele, and again, whether it's something that you sold this week, if whether it's something that you're specking for Q1 of, of 2019, how do, you, how do you plan to address that potential that, hey, this flat panel you want, it's going to cost you 10% more. This, you know, whatever that is, how do you address that with your client knowing that in all reality, as of today, it's really hard to nail down a, a price or a quote or a proposal for something down the road. Right, no, I, I agree. It's definitely hard to come back, especially when end users are so used to consumer electronics going down in price, not up. Uh, that becomes definitely becomes challenging. Um, I think, A, one of the things Jason mentioned was keeping your um, prices in the proposal for only a short window. And we are already, I think, in a four or six week window right now is what, depending on the project and how long the scope of it will be, that's what the window is um, from when the proposal goes out to when we have to order product that we will hold that price. So our projects have to be a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter timeline, which definitely helps. Probably beneficial that I'm in New York City. People are more sophisticated. They understand what's going on. Um, and politically, they kind of get what's happening and it's not our fault and they understand it. So I'm a little, I think, you know, I've had a couple discussions like this might happen when I've talked to clients. So that's been the issue. That's been an okay conversation so far. Very good. Like anything, communication is important. Uh, let's go to our next story, which isn't necessarily a story yet, but it's about to be. Um, Hage, I'm going to let you kind of lead into this, but it seems like there is a, a potential issue coming down the road in the state of New Jersey in terms of POE. Can you give us some, some insight on, on what's going on? Right, so I literally just got the call, right? Uh, Breaking news. And asked me if I have some time this weekend to talk to the board, because you guys are going to meet, um, about this proposed legislation to essentially force any um, 
Cat six, Cat five cable runs that are considered low voltage, right? Because they're potentially PoE cables to be run by certified electricians. And that, I believe, is coming from the electricians union in New Jersey. The problem is if this becomes law in New Jersey, other states usually look to neighboring states for laws and resolutions. And this is, in my opinion, really the, the taxi driver seeing Uber um, and then protesting against the Uber drivers. And electricians are, have been used to getting a significant piece of the pie when it comes to the project. They're usually first on a project. They get to do the entire electrical infrastructure, uh, lighting, if you want to talk about things that have been switching away from, no pun intended, from electricians to integrators. Lighting is one of those uh, segments where uh, if it's Lutron integration, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the beginning of that shift. And now you have PoE lighting, which Julie had a, uh, a great story about, uh, with an integrator essentially building a house filled with PoE lights and not having an electrician involved in these projects. And so I think the electricians are, are seeing the, the coming wave of business that's going away from them, and this is how they want to combat it, essentially taking 48-volt PoE and including that in the same rules as they would have uh, high-voltage applications. Now, which cable is 48 volts PoE and which is not? Who knows? You know, any cable you run on a job could be PoE or it could not be. But all the infrastructure we have between access points, between uh, IP phones, cameras, think about how much on the job down to Josh.ai, my advice to them when they wanted to build a product, I said, make sure it works with PoE because that's the easiest way to deploy it. You don't need an electrician. Uh, and now New Jersey is trying to change that. Uh, and I think overall to the consumer, just like these tariffs, that's not good. It's bad for the consumer. There is nothing that the electrician could do that the integrator couldn't. So I'm looking for, you know, personally, in my mind, I'm looking for a compelling argument for an electrician to need to do the work versus an integrator aside to money. Very good. Mark, when, when you hear something like this, um, again, working in New York, you're dealing with a lot of situations where, if you can get something POE, you'd much rather go that route. I would make right. the general assumption. Yeah. Um, it, when, when you're planning out a project, do you ever take time to, you know, look at, look at your, your cable schematic, your, your cable diagram, how you're running things and separate out what's, what is planned at least for POE versus not? No, not in the wiring. I mean, obviously we're planning for it in the switches we're going to purchase and how much, POE demand we're going to have, but we don't lay it out as this wire is for a POE device and this wire is for just pure data, other than really wires that are going dedicated for access points, you know, in a closet or something, or um, for video distribution, because you have a POE bail-in on the other end of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, generally speaking, when we're running convenience outlets at, at, at baseboard level for phone and data, that might end up being POE, so we may end up pilfering one of those for a POE switch or for a, a, an access point or something, but we don't plan on that. Interesting. Very good. Jason, uh, obviously, Cedia has already been in touch with Haggai about this. Um, I'm, I'm sure this is going to come up next week, but beyond what, what Cedia is doing um, or, or planning to do, which I, I don't think we know that yet, um, other than combat this. The going to go fight it. So CD has yes. a legislative arm that's monitoring all of these different activities. And as soon as they hear about something like this, they go put people on the ground. 
Uh, Dan Raymond is heading that department. Mm-hmm. And I may actually travel out there as well to go put the kibosh on these guys. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. But Jason, how does the average, uh, or is there anything that the average HTP can do about trying to help combat this outside of getting behind what CD is trying to do from their legislation <clears throat> side? Well, to, to, to your point, this is, if there's, this is a perfect reason why integrators should belong to CEDIA. Um, the, the legislative element that uh, an integrator can perform on his own um, without being part of a large organization like this is you know, probably pretty minuscule. Him showing up and knocking on the door of his state assemblyman or state senator is probably not going to uh, amount to a whole hill, hell, hill of a beans. But if CEDIA can get behind it with their legislative arm, um, you know, this is this kind of battling with the electrician has been going on and on forever in the security industry. Uh, you know, electricians uh, wanted, uh, you know, journeymen and apprenticeship licensing organizations and structures put in place in all the states to prevent security system installation at the low voltage level and exactly grassroots, um, uh, you know, knocking on doors and being unifying the industry is really the only way it's going to get stopped. So, um, you know, these legislative battles are, uh, could be a great rallying cry for people to join the, the association. Very good. I, I agree with that as well. All right, let's go to our next story of the day. This comes to us from a residential systems. 4K Ultra HD is po- poised to take over the living room. Uh, Mark, I'm going to start with you on this one. Reading through this story, um, they're essentially saying that, you know, we're really starting to see that saturation now of 4K taking over available everywhere. Uh, it, it accounted for nearly 50% of all TV shipped worldwide. Uh, that, that's the forecasting for the end of the year. Being a, being a frontline integrator, right. when you start looking at 4K and, and having that conversation with a client, do you ever have, have major pushback on 4K? Does, does anyone not think or, or assume that this is now just what they're going to get? No, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised when I read the article, to be honest, because to me, 4K is a de facto expectation, especially in the displays nowadays. TV displays, I think, is a little bit more flexibility when you start talking about projection because the price for 4K, if it, I mean, 4K is, is a little more affordable, but when you're talking true 4K, <laughs> the price gets a little bit more. Um, so I, I think the, uh, you know, the, the clients are, the expectation is that displays will be 4K. And then when they get a, um, uh, yeah, when they get a, um, a device that doesn't pass it for some reason, they get a new Apple TV 4K and they're having trouble getting their Dolby Vision or getting their HDR, uh, I hear the heat. So to me, it, it is there now. I have a question. Sure. So how do we know? So I'm a consumer. I'm in the IT business. I know a little bit about this. But how do I really know that I'm getting 4K? So let's have a 4K TV. What else do I need? And, and how does the integrator really deliver that experience consistently? Because there is encoders and decoders and compression. And who knows what you're getting from who? It's, it's the Wild West. So right. who's, making, who's sorting this out? I mean, in terms of who's sorting it out, it kind of falls on us, how the consumer knows whether they're getting it or not. In all honesty, it's their Apple TV rebooted or their Roku reboot, rebooted. And those are typically the two ways it happens. And they get a 
message on the screen that says we're checking for 4K compatibility, and then they got it or they didn't. And if they don't, I get the phone call. When I think that's, the, they Apple, that's like the one thing I have to reboot in my house is my Apple TVs because they're just constantly jammed. Yes. <laughs> you should get that program to reboot automatically every night. I hate rebooting. <laughs> you know what this is really about, uh, Matt? Is it's yeah, marketing, it, mm-hmm. and the thing that I find is I can remember, you know, 15 years ago, Mark Cuban spoke at one of the Para events when he was just launching HDNet, I think it was, and they said, "Why did you pick?" Uh, 1080p versus 480 and he goes it's a bigger number <laughs> they go what does that mean he goes it doesn't matter it's a bigger number and the consumer will go for it because it's a bigger number and the beauty of when i read this article is is now we're talking about 8k i just did a story last week about a guy in southern california who sold 19 8k lg tvs uh the very first day $284,000 worth of TVs he sold in one day. So the whole beauty of this is now nobody's debating 1080p versus 4K anymore. So it's already now setting the stage and laying the stage for eight for 8K from 4K, you're, uh, I think. But, Go ahead, hi guy. So I remember vividly, which is kind of crazy to remember this event. The first time I saw 1080i was looking at the Kalahari Desert from Kaleidoscape, streaming you know, from a server to a player in a theater at the Signals AV office in El Segundo. And I was blown away to see that owl and you know, look in his eyelid on a big screen and see that detail. Does 4K offer the same noticeable advancement from 1080p as you know, 1080i at the time offered from whatever was behind it. Well, let me jump in and take that one for fun. I'm going to say it can, but here's the problem. It depends. And this is the conversation that I have to have. Answer, right? Depends. It, it depends because when I get up here, 4K through an Apple TV, that 4K signal on Netflix is dramatically different in compression to 4K that I get from Rogers Cable or Bell Media, which is our local uh, telcos up here. You're getting a different compression. You're getting different frame rates. You're getting, at times, different pixel counts. The hard thing for consumers and end users, and honestly for us as integrators and the industry in general, is how do we tell that story of you're not likely, unless you're in an ultra high-end theater situation, ever going to get a uncompressed 4k they just can't deliver that content compressed 4k depending on what compression rate you're using what bit depth etc 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 will dictate how that looks on your screen the conversation of how to have that eye-opening oh my gosh experience because the first time i saw 1080 was at nab and i remember seeing a 720 camera from panasonic beside a 1080p, uh, three, three, yeah, three LCD Sony camera in one of their video shootouts. And side by side, it was like, what is this witchcraft? It's amazing. Yes. It's so very it, hard to demo that. Actually, this is a good point because the first time I saw the benefit of 4K, really beyond the CDS show and the big screens and what have you, was actually on our NVR in Easton. When there was some crime going on around our building, the police department came in and asked for the video footage, and it is crisp. 
even at nighttime. You can zoom in, you know, the zoom in and enhance that doesn't exist, but it kind of looks like that. You zoom in and you see all those details. Uh, and they were able to get license plates and faces of people and stuff that in the past we couldn't get. I'm just wondering, you know, so essentially what you're telling me is your client is spend all this money with me, but someone else is really responsible for the experience you're going to get. Uh, to a degree, yeah. The, but that's always the way it is with any sort of media. I can sell you meridians and you can put meridians in your house or in your showroom or in your you know, condo. But if you have meridians and you feed it with some garbage MP3 off of YouTube, Meridian can do as much magic as they want and it's still not going to sound as great as a flack file. Well, right. So Meridian had an avenue through title to stream MQA mm -hmm. and they control the entire experience. So when are we going to have control and end where you can sell something and say, Hey, when you watch this provider, I can guarantee you this result. When those providers, sorry, as I'm taking over, <laughs> when those providers have a complete and you know, front to back 4k resolution, well, I this still, is a great media partner. Maybe talk to dish. We should talk to dish. I know here and, and Canada is a fun little thing from a cable standpoint or, or a telco standpoint. We can still get 480 streams over our digital boxes. Oh yeah, same in the There are channels that are still 480. Yeah, we have that. that. Is, we have double. Yeah. We have the same in one or the other. Right. Yeah. So it's really hard to do that. Um, 480 though, it hurts the eyes on a big screen. Oh, complete. I, I would argue 720 does, but that's just me. Mark, at, hearing what Haggai says, how do you, how would you address this with your clients? Well, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I walk into a client's home. You know, they we bought put a beautiful 4K TV up, turn on the cable box and they're like, Oh my God, what an amazing picture. I've never seen anything like that before. It's 1080p. Our cable providers don't provide 4k in New York city and they still are raving. Now granted there's some upscaling going on and there's something happening, but I mean, they're raving about this amazing 4k picture and it's a 1080p signal. So I might, Matt, I have the same discussion you do, you know, yep. to get true 4k, you need 18 gigabits a second. And you know, they just launched gigabit service in New York city in the last 18 months or so. So, you know, it's all compressed and you're never going to get that picture you want. Yes, your Apple TV is going to boot up until you don't have Dolby Vision. And for the ego, they want it. So we have to provide the cables and the HDMI extenders and the matrices and everything that will provide it because they can get it. They want it, even though they'll never. It, 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 somewhat, they, know, they deep down know they'll never get it, but they want to believe that they have it. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a really hard an annoying conversation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, I, I think really the only way to properly get it, and I can't remember, Jason, maybe you know this off the top of your head. There is a company that works with the major studios that sends um, the, the flash drives out with full resolution, uncompressed studio quality as he's going that's to check. Already, that's happening <clears throat> to, to studio executives. They have a, a mm -hmm. Yeah area going straight straight to the studio so they don't have to do that anymore there's but, it's a digital transfer yeah yeah but and it will transfer the whole thing exactly watch it it doesn't stream so, yeah so it doesn't stream it's a full download um but they're getting you know uncompressed native resolution um which again you need some some very good electronics to make that worthwhile and also you need to be sitting super close to a pretty big screen in order to see the pixel difference anyways. 
you know, your average living room is not going to have that kind of a, a seating distance to screen size ratio. Yeah, but if you have a private theater with right. you know, a big several foot screen, then, right. then would, would you see the difference at that point? Because I haven't seen it. I haven't looked at it. To, I haven't observed anything to make so that distinguish it. The biggest thing I'll say is that when you go and, and I talked to Samsung at uh, Infocom and, and asked them about why they're doing 8K video walls. Um, and what they told us is that it's because you do get to the point where you're sitting close enough where you can start to see pixel on 4K if you're close enough. And again, it doesn't always apply in residential, but there still are, come on, Mark, you've done it. You've put an 80 inch TV in front of a couch that sits six feet away. <laughs> Only in my own house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, Jason, if people want to connect with you, where can they do that? They can always go to cepro.com and of course, follow me on Twitter, Jason W. Not. Excellent. Haggai, thanks again for being here and asking so many good questions. One, one last comment. Yeah. All of you out there that are listening, if you are confronted with a large job, and you are considering a router on a stick configuration, don't do it. We're in the process of ripping out a brand new system that uh, didn't have, that it was outsourced to a local IT firm, didn't have the right configuration, the right switches. And what happens is that all the internet traffic and the local network traffic flow over one cable to your router that's also your gateway. And it's that cable is saturated and it's affecting internet, it's affecting DHCP requests, and the whole network is just slow. And the only way to fix that is to put layer three switches in there. We're not gonna put one, we want all of them the same uh, with our known configuration. It's a very expensive process and there's a lot at stake here. So think about what you're doing and if you don't know what to do, then reach out to me and I'll give you free advice. I'm not gonna try and sell you on anything. Um, but just think this through. Like th those days are, are going away uh, of router on a stick. If you have IP cameras, you have Crestron NVX, whatever you're doing IP related on the job, if it's a busy project, use a real layer switch, layer three switch, put the VLANs on it, DHCP scopes, QoS, everything, so that you don't end up in a jam like that company. <laughs> don't be that company. So if they want to connect with you and learn more about why not to do router on a stick, and proper network configurations. Where can they do that, my friend? A guy at accessca.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Mark, hopefully you had fun on your, your first maiden voyage. Hopefully we were mostly nice. Um, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Home Theater Advisors, where can they do that? Uh, the best is Mark at HomeTheaterAdvisors.com or at HT Advisors um, on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you all for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Resi Week.